I have a client actually uh, I just met with yesterday. His jury date was in 2013. That was the first half. And now we're scheduled for the second half in January. So, and a lot of things have changed in 10 years. Wow. So, you know, he's had another kid, you know, some of his kids have aged out. It's just, so it's just having to completely update that. So. Damn. Hey, I'm Armando LaDuke, producer, film actor, and owner of LaDuke Entertainment. I have chosen a life off the beaten path and wanted to find others that are doing the same. Spaghetti on the Wall is a show based on all of the years that I've thrown spaghetti on the wall and nurtured what's stuck. We will share fun stories, ideas, tips, tricks, and more. Welcome to Spaghetti on the Wall. What's up, what's up, what's up? Good morning. I mean, it could be morning, could be afternoon, could be evening. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but welcome to another episode of Spaghetti on the Wall. Today, we have Pam Moreno straight from New Brownfuls. Yes, sir. New Brownfuls. Talk to me about New Brown, New Brownfuls or New Brownfells or how do you, how do you say that? New Brownfuls. Got it. Um, <clears throat> are you from there? New Brownfuls? Yes. Yes, I am. Born and raised. Born and raised. And you're an immigration attorney. That's correct. And I practice in Austin, Texas. You've been doing that for how long? As an attorney, four and a half years. Oh, wow. You like it? I, I actually very much enjoy it. I love it. Very, <laughs> love very cool. Um, so how do you know Jerry and Jesse? Or do you know Jesse? So I know you know Jerry. I do know Jesse. He's okay. more of an acquaintance. Um, I met him through Jerry. Um, so we've partied a little bit for Jerry's birthday uh, recently. Mm-hmm. But um, I've known Jerry um, through his younger brother. So I actually used to be very social with his younger brother. We used to party a lot in our younger days. And then when I moved back to the area, I was looking for a financial advisor and Jerry at the time was with New York life. And so we were connected. And then I know like his sisters and his mom. And so we just, I just hadn't actually known Jerry. Um, and then we just became friends. Um, and then I started dating my now fiance and him and Jerry actually went to high school together. Um, and Jerry's one of our groomsmen in our wedding. So, um, but he's good people. He's a good mentor, someone that I can call in regards to any aspect of life. So, um, but he's a great person. So yes, that's awesome. So do you have your own firm? I do not. So I actually work for a firm, a criminal and immigration firm, crimmigration firm, as we like to say in Austin, Texas called peak and toll in. Nice. Um, so talk to me about, I, I haven't had an immigration attorney on, I've had personal injury, I've had family law, I haven't had immigration yet. So talk to me about, you know, sort of the day to day that, um, that you guys have to deal with. So, um, specifically there's so many different, um, types of immigration law. So it depends on what kind of immigration law you're specifically looking for. Um, I handle removal defense. So I keep people, try to keep people here um, from getting deported. Um, and so I mostly represent um, clients who have been detained by ICE and are trying to get out of detention um, under a sort of bond. So I'll do bond hearings. Um, or if they've already been in proceedings, trying to basically find an avenue to be able to keep them here. Um, so kind of going through different defenses. So a day-to-day Basically, we get phone calls from people. Family members are detained for possibly a criminal issue or ICE, um, you know, detained them, uh, pulled them over and 
um, was looking for someone else or for them, knew that they were a visa overstay or whatnot. And then from there, we basically speak with the family, depending on where the case is at, um, see what we can do in order to help them, whether that's liberating them from detention for while they um, go into the proceedings, which can take many years, um, or if they're already in removal proceedings and we're going to court with them, uh, trying to fight to keep them here. In personal injury, they're suing insurance companies, family right. law, they're suing each other. <laughs> not, not really, but you know, they're making money um, from the actual people, right? For the services. How are like immigration attorneys, how are they getting paid? They're getting paid from the people? The clients themselves. The clients. Yes. There are many nonprofits though that seek uh, grants or some sort of government funding, so to speak, uh, to be able to provide those services um, because as you mentioned, uh, well, like family cases are, are civil cases. So there's no attorney, um, that's, you know, provided to you, um, or in personal injury cases as well. There's not an attorney that's provided to you. It's the same thing with immigration. So you actually have to either, you have to contract someone. So either you can go to a nonprofit that will charge you nothing or very little, or you can go to a private attorney. And I, I do work in the private sector. So, um, but our clients do pay us. Um, sometimes we do try and get funding from like maybe the a consulado, a consulate um, abroad. Sometimes we can do that, um, but it just depends on the case and whether they're willing to help them. How do you guys find cases? How, how are people finding you? So Peak and Tolan has been around for 10 years here in the Austin area. So they've pretty kind of have a um, their foot in the door, so to speak. Um, there's not many criminal immigration firms in the Austin area. Most either practice just immigration or criminal. So that's kind of one of the things that we're able to profit on is the fact that, um, you know, we are both. So we can handle your criminal case and also handle your immigration case at the same time, um, which has helped, you know, uh, make us recognizable here. Um, there's also, um, we do do marketing. So we have, you know, like an Instagram, um, we do have, um, you know, um, basically like ads that go out on Google to market. Um, we're trying to expand that market as well, as far as like trying to be more doing community outreach. Um, but honestly, a lot of our clientele is by word of mouth, um, mm. which has been awesome. It's, you know, helped in, but we're trying, it's been awesome because, you know, we haven't had to spend a lot in marketing, but we are trying to expand that to be able to kind of increase our market shares in like, north of Austin, Round Rock, Pflugerville, um, and then also south into San Antonio, since primarily, I mean, that's where the immigration court is. So mm -hmm. we're just trying to pull more of that clientele. But we really um, serve Austin and surrounding communities. When you guys talk about community outreach, what does that mean? So as far as attending um, like community events, so um, if there's, you know, a a like a Jamaica or a festival is trying to to make sure we go and have a table and you know have someone at least be the face of the firm and be able to hey you know if you need a consult um, that type um, we also do give back to the community um, so depending uh, we try and do two different um, community outreaches um, to different types of churches here in the Austin area um, we are a 
Christian-based firm, so to speak. Um, our principles and our mission course, our mission and our core values are founded on um, Christian principle. So we do try and tag team with some churches in the surrounding area since we help, you know, refugees, um, asylum applicants, and they have a lot of resources or a lot of people that, you know, need help. So we try and give back, whether it's financially or providing uh, food, clothing, um, even manpower to help them out. Can you tell me a story, and I know you can't name names, but just, you know, sort of tell me a, uh, an, an interesting story, you know, in, in your career uh, that had to do with, you know, immigration and, and you know, kind of take us through a, a, some sort of case that, you know, that was like, oh, wow, this was definitely memorable. So I would say it's probably a recent case for me. Um, this These clients... Um, so it was a, a man, a wife, and his child. They entered the United States on visas um, approximately 13 years ago, um, and they've been here uh, for that long. Um, once they arrived here, they got settled, decided not to go back to Mexico due to the area of Mexico that they're from, and um, so they overstayed their visas. Um, wife got pregnant. She had a son who was born in, and immediately had kidney issues uh, since he was a child. Um, they spoke to an immigration attorney uh, who actually filed a frivolous asylum application for them. Um, and they weren't really aware of what that was or what the consequences were of that, which basically you file the asylum application, you get to go before um, an asylum office officer um, and they adjudicate the application. If they deem it um, not credible or not enough to the standard, then they'll refer you to the immigration court. So these clients did not know that's what would happen. They were told that they were able to get a work permit, didn't know that there was an asylum being filed on their behalf or that they would be placed in deportation proceedings. Um, so they were placed into deportation proceedings. Uh, that attorney is now disbarred. He's very quite known in San Antonio area uh, for that, um, but he was disbarred. And um, because of that, they've been in deportation proceedings now for about 10 years. Um, the daughter does not qualify for DACA because she entered about six months after um, the cutoff time for DACA. Um, and so that she and she's not married. She doesn't have kids. She's actually currently a freshman at a university um, in the area. And um, they their son is still dealing with kidney problems. And so they've been in proceedings all these years. Um, and so we were actually able to get the daughter's case terminated recently under um, a memo that came out in April. Um, she has no criminal history or anything like that. So thankfully we were able to get her case terminated, which doesn't mean she has lawful status, doesn't mean she has um, any sort of documents to be here, but at least allows her to remain here without being deported back to her country. Mm. Um, and for the parents, that was that that for them was the biggest relief because she has no one else in home country. They're here. Their son is a U.S. citizen and he's going through these kidney problems. Well, um, in those two parents cases, we were actually able to file for a defense called cancellation of deportation, um, which the main issue and there, there's four uh, elements, but the primary one um, that most cases lose off of, um, I would say is that we have to be able to prove an extreme and unusual hardship. And so I was able to, before their final hearing date, which is before the court, um, before the judge who will decide, before the government attorney, um, I had really worked on their case, trying to get documents together from them regarding their sons, writing a brief, kind of explaining all the, the issues that were going on with him, even though he's more stable now. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, he's he's a 12 years old, but he's still dealing with issues. And so we've... Um, 
were able to file everything. And mind you, these people, this couple, they've been in proceedings for 10 years, not knowing their fate, right? Whether they're going to get deported, whether they're staying here with their son, kind of what's happening. And that in itself is very traumatic because that keeps them from being able to really set like roots here, right? Because they don't know if it's all for nothing. So filing the brief and everything, we were able to actually get the government to agree to um, go ahead and grant them their application. And so uh, we filed the the um, order. I made up an order because I've never had this situation happen before and um, sent it to the judge and she signed it. And so in about two years, because there's a limit on visas available under this for them to become residents, um, that they will become residents. They will have green cards and they will be able to stay here with their son. They have no criminal history. They're honest people. They work hard. Um, and so for me, I think in that situation, it just goes to show you how long the immigration process can be. So we're talking 10, 11 years, you know, if you don't have the correct attorney helping you out that can put you into a bigger issue than what you um, probably knew would could happen or would happen. Um, but also just trying to do your job as an attorney to look out for your clients and kind of putting them all in the best situation as possible. How, how do you guys keep people educated in this process? you know, from, from making these mistakes? It's, um, so I do also consult with the clients. And so we have a, as a, as a firm, when they come in to meet with us, whether they hire or do not hire, it's educating them on what their options are. So sometimes we will get, um, here at this firm, we do have basically what we call sales team, right? Where people call in and, and we kind of filter them to see whether it's someone we can help them with or not. Um, and sometimes in those, they're not very good, um, clients. There's not much I'm going to be able to help them with, but, I will tell, I tell the team, like, just go ahead and schedule them. If they still want to meet with an attorney, like I can still review and explain to them why they don't qualify for something or, or why. And a lot of times, unfortunately, they've met with attorneys, but attorneys haven't totally educated them on like what the law is or why or things or what they need to be able to prove, you know, why they don't qualify for this, why they may qualify for that. Um, so it's just trying to make sure you educate the client as possible when they come to meet with you. So at least when they walk away, you know, even if there's nothing you can do for them, they at least walked away knowing, you know, why not <laughs> or why yes. These stories, when you're, do you usually go to court and, you know, there's there's a jury and everything like that? Or is there, you know, depositions ahead of time? I don't even know if it's called a deposition in, in that regard. So uh, immigration court, there is no jury. Um, it's literally just the judge, you and the Department of Homeland Security um, and then your client. Um, so if, you know, someone doesn't have a an attorney with them, then obviously they're just speaking with the judge. The judge is your fact finder. So um, as far as mostly most immigration hearings are about four hearings. Your first hearing is presenting yourself. Um, if you don't have an attorney, then you appear pro se. The judge explains why you're there, uh, gives you an opportunity to get an attorney. Um, second hearing is you appear with an attorney if you're going to get one. Um, if you don't, then the judge will move forward in your case. If you do have an attorney, uh, they will be your voice and the judge will review something called a notice to appear, which has the allegations and the charges against you, which normally are you know, you're undocumented, you're not a citizen of the U.S., you entered here in the United States and that you weren't inspected or admitted, or if you were, it'll say that. Um, and then from there, the judge basically asks what type of 
you know, defense do you have? Um, and if you don't have an attorney, they will ask you a series of questions. If you do, then they'll ask your attorney what type of defense you have and give you a third hearing date to turn in those applications. At that third hearing date, they'll review it. Um, if there's any additional questions, and then they'll set you for a final hearing date, your fourth hearing date, um, where you will basically present your whole hearing. Uh, immigration courts, though, you're pretty much only allowed like a three hour window for jury trial. So um, it's presenting your case in those three hours. Sometimes it can go over. Um, sometimes, you know, the judge will reschedule it for a second date, which is, could be in another year, another mm. year and a half. Um, I have a client actually, uh, I just met with yesterday. His jury date was in 2013. That was the first half. And now we're scheduled for the second half in January. <laughs> so, and a lot of things have changed in 10 years. Wow. So, you know, he's had another kid, you know, some of his kids have aged out. It's just, so it's just having to completely update that. So, damn. yes, it's yeah <laughs> man it feels so overwhelming it right? can be yes it very can it very much can be how do you um, how do you when every case is different yeah how do you manage your you know your mental health so i really try and keep my job 8 30 to 5 30 um but that's not really true um because even on the weekends you know i'm reading up on case law i'm part of different groups um so really just trying to make sure that I try and allot myself at least Sunday to not do anything with work. Um, and that, you know, and just being able to be with my family and enjoy time with my family. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to do better. I used to be really bad at it at the beginning. Um, now I see a therapist, you know, now, um, I, you know, I, I do yoga or I even do meditation sometimes, um, read a book that doesn't have to do with case law, but rather yeah. just, you know, my faith or, or being a better leader. Um, as the managing attorney for the removal department, I do have two paralegals and I had another attorney, but right now I'm the only attorney handling my caseload. Um, but even then, you know, I have to report, um, to a sales team. I have to report to a boss. I have, you know, so it's just, uh, trying to make sure that I'm ahead of it. But, um, just in regards to, like I said, with mental health, it's just making sure I allot that time for myself and trying to do things that clear my brain. I love to travel. So that's also another part. When I travel, I disconnect my email from my phone because yeah. I'm one of those who will check my phone even at 2 a.m., you know, just like there's something updated even when I've been on trips. So I've, I've done better now, but I'm um, just trying to make sure that I can only do what I can do for now and today and just, just take it day by day. That's really all I can do. Yeah. When you are talking to the judge right? You're, you're, you're presenting the case. It's, it's really about story, right? Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're really wanting to, 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 to do a good storytelling so that you can convince the judge that, okay, yeah, these, you know, these folks deserve, you know, a break or they deserve, you know, the judgment to go in, in their way. Um, how do you study, you know, sort of storytelling and, you know, being better, being a better communicator in, in the courtroom? So every judge is different. So that's the first thing is knowing who my judge will be. Um, some judges kind of don't allow you to do the storytelling type thing. Um, not that they like tell you you can't do it, but it's, you know, when they get the case, they, they're like, Miss Moreno, you submitted and they just start going through it like this exhibit, this exhibit, this exhibit. So I kind of have a cheat sheet um, just to make sure that they pinpoint all the right things. Um, at the end, they'll usually ask me, is there anything else you would like to add? And at that point is where 
whatever they didn't say or things I want to reiterate and make sure that they understood or stood out to them, I'll do at that point. Um, I watch other attorneys sometimes um, just to see with COVID, obviously it's a little bit difficult to do that, but now we all appear via Zoom. So even then hearing, you know, the arguments or what they say, um, it helps me at least be able to form different types of um arguments for the judge. The other thing is when judge write opinions, um, I read those to see what they're, what they're saying in the opinions. Cause sometimes I can use that verbiage when I'm making my own arguments with a different judge or that same judge. Um, and then also, uh, just paying attention to what the TA, the, sorry, the government attorney, we call them trial attorneys, although we're trial attorneys too, but, um, just paying attention to the government attorney as far as what they're saying and what they're trying to get across. Um, I think, the issue with lawyers, um, myself included, is we like to talk a lot, but we don't remember to listen. So I've learned that when you listen to what the judge is saying and what the government attorney, your opposing counsel is saying, you can literally learn what you need to say or not say. Um, so, and I think that's a, a skill that I've acquired over the years. Um, it's not so much the, who can talk the most, it's who can really be concise and get to the point of what the judge is asking or wanting, as well as what the government is trying to say. That's cool. Are there any, <laughs> are there any trainings? D does anybody like train uh, lawyers to do stuff like that? Yes. Yes, there is a, um, a training that I've done with NIDA. I don't know exactly what it stands for. It's like the National Institute of Trial Advocacy. Maybe I do. Um, and it, um, <laughs> and they, they help you basically, um, how to be an immigration attorney. Cause obviously an immigration attorney in the courtroom is different than a personal injury who's, you know, going to trial or a criminal defense attorney. So it's a little bit different. Um, but they, really put together a training to make you um, know how to handle final like trial. Um, we call them final, final merits hearings and immigration, but being able to really like what to pinpoint, how to uh, direct your witness, how to, you know, exam um, an expert witness. Um, and even if any of the government attorneys have any witnesses, which is very rare, how to be able to do a cross on them as well, um, which is really awesome because I've learned with them to kind of like, how to be more concise in my questions, mm -hmm. um, being able to, that's something I, I was always nervous about because to be honest, I never found myself to be an attorney in the courtroom. I thought I was going to be a quote unquote paper pusher, um, immigration attorney where a lot of the things, you know, we file like family petitions and things like that go to USCIS, the, um, center for immigration, but I ended up finding myself in the courtroom. So it's, it's very different. So those are, um, I was very nervous at the beginning, but that training helped me. And like I said, just kind of watching um, other attorneys as well. There's CLEs um, that are conducted for immigration as well. So a lot of it sometimes is knowledge based. So I've learned when I'm comfortable in, um, in what I'm speaking about, then I have no problem conducting myself a certain way. But when I, I don't feel very knowledgeable or I'm not sure, then obviously kind of hold my tongue back a little bit more. Mm. So I just want to make sure that in what I do, that I'm always um, up to date with the law. So that way I can speak better and be able to argue better <laughs> uh, for my client. But um, I think it's just making sure as far as training that you're knowledgeable in the law, current immigration law and speaking with other attorneys too, um, you know, finding out what they're seeing and what they're, what's kind of coming their way. So that way, you know, and you're prepared. What do you dislike most about your job? 
our reputation. Um, <laughs> not so much lawyers, but immigration lawyers. Um, I think coming from, you know, my dad's from Mexico. I had um, cousins that were in removal proceedings and were deported. And I remember my aunt, my tia telling me, you know, she had spent all this money on an immigration attorney and couldn't, that attorney couldn't really explain to her um, why or what was going on. Now, I wasn't there, so I don't know if maybe the attorney was and my aunt just wasn't comprehending because sometimes the issues are complex. And I see that even now as an immigration attorney on the other side. Um, but I feel sometimes, you know, when as that story that I mentioned earlier, having an attorney that doesn't really explain and puts you in a worse situation. Um, and it's awful when you have clients that come in and, you know, that they say, well, this attorney didn't do this or didn't do that. And in most part, you try and take the attorney side, like maybe they did, maybe the client just didn't understand. But then sometimes you see the work that they did and mm. you're like, wow, the client's actually not telling a, you know, a lie. Like they're actually telling the truth. Like, right. um, so I think immigration attorneys, we really sometimes have a bad reputation for taking money and not being able to do anything or we advise incorrectly. Um, and that's the hard part. I think the other thing is we're also competing with notarios, which are, um, people who try and act like they're lawyers, but they're not licensed lawyers. They're not lawyers. Um, and so therefore they help fill out documentation and, you know, send it in for the clients. And sometimes it's totally wrong, totally incorrect. I'm dealing with that with a Cuban client uh, currently. Um, he hired a notario to fill out an, an asylum, uh, sorry, an adjustment application for him. And they did it totally incorrect. Um, and then, you know, they send in this, this application, they're paying, you know, um, 12, you know, $1,225 for this application and it's all wrong. Um, so it's just, it's, I think it's, it's that. Um, so you're also competing with notarios. And then sometimes I feel like I'm practicing defensively, not just against, you know, a judge or a government attorney, but sometimes even my clients because they don't do what you ask of them. So I've had a couple of clients where I give them a list. I give them like, Hey, I need it. I give them a deadline. Um, you know, and I let them know if there's anything, you know, I can do to help. You can bring the documents at any time. And a lot of them wait till the last moment. Um, and we have filing deadlines, you know, so it's really hard. It's like, you want me to put the best defense. I'm telling you, I give you these deadlines specifically, um, right. so that way we'd be able to get these and then you don't bring me what I want. And so then it's like, we go in front of the judge and the judge is inquiring and they, they try and throw me under the bus. And it's like, right. so now I have to throw you under the bus. <laughs> so it's like, and you know, sometimes I just take it because I'd rather it be me than the client. But sometimes it's really, it's really just difficult because you want to be the best lawyer that you can be, or at least I do and mm -hmm. be able to provide the best defense. And it's difficult when my client isn't helping me do that. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, first let me know where, where people can find you if they're, you know, if they're in a, in a situation, when would I be calling you? Like, you know, in, in what situation, you know, would I be reaching out? So if your family member is, is undocumented, um, and they are in a criminal issue, they were detained for, uh, unfortunately, a lot of our clients are, they have a pending assault family violence or a DWI and they're detained in county jail and they have an ice hold. And so I definitely would tell people to hire immediately when there's an ice hold, because sometimes bonding out your brother or your sister or your cousin or whoever is not the best situation uh, because with an ice hold, they will go straight to to immigration detention. And if they have a really severe charge, like 
um, you know, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon or a possession of controlled substance, I wouldn't want you to move your, your family member to detention where basically there it's very limited, um, relief that's going to be available to them or possibility of getting out on a bond because of the pending charge. Um, so I would definitely say at that point, or if, um, ICE just comes you know, to the house or an apartment complex and they're looking for one individual and inquire about others and they don't have documents and they are taken to ICE, then obviously contact us then um, as well because maybe we can get them out on a bond. Maybe we can get them out on a parole request or release on recognizance or if not even representing them in their immigration proceedings and hopefully, you know, find an avenue to keep them here. Um, but so you only deal I'm with... Pekin. You guys I'm just sorry? deal with people in Texas though, right? Yes. Well... From the criminal aspect, as far as um, immigration, we can, um, I can practice anywhere, um, but I would recommend only for bonds because bonds are a little bit different. I only have to prove, you know, flight risk and danger, whereas in your criminal, uh, sorry, in your immigration defense, your removal defense, um, you're going to be placed in a court and they're all different around the country. So um, I would say if it was in regards to a bond anywhere in the country, you can definitely reach out. If someone was recently detained um, and placed into uh, removal proceedings, then yes, um, we can represent them on a bond or a parole request. But if it's like they've already been out on parole and it's for their removal defense um, and their, you know, their court hearing is in Washington or Seattle or California, then I would definitely recommend an immigration attorney in those um, that are located closer to those immigration courts, just because they're going to know the law that's in those circuits specifically right. that'll pertain to their case. Makes sense. All right. And where, and where can they find you? So um, I'm at Peak and Tolan and we're in Austin, Texas. Um, you can Google us. We're also known under Los Abogados Hueros because both of the partners are hueritos. They're, they're um, Caucasian men, um, but they both speak Spanish. And um, so that that's something that they're known for as Los Abogados Hueros. Our phone number is also 512-474-4445. Um, and then I, Pamela Moreno, work here. So that's somewhere where they can um, ask to to speak with me or consult with me and they will pass on the information to myself. Yes. That's awesome. All right, y'all. Pamela, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Um, love to have you back. Loved uh, have, having those questions answered. Definitely um, a wealth of knowledge. If you guys are in need of an immigration attorney, please reach out to Pamela Moreno. And that's our show brought to you by LaDuke Entertainment. For all of your digital marketing needs, social media, videos, we got you. We'll see y'all next week on Spaghetti on the Wall, wherever you can find podcasts. Thanks, guys.